0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to What Am I Missing? The podcast where I attempt to fill in the gaps of my knowledge through conversations with friends. And we've got a good one for you today. It's episode one. Uh, I did this on purpose. I asked Mike to come on here specifically for the first episode because I knew that he was going to come in and talk about uh, professional wrestling and that it was going to be informative, it was going to be intriguing, and it was going to be energetic, and uh, he did not disappoint. Spoiler alert, I'll tell you right now, it's a uh, it's a fascinating conversation, and I'm so glad that uh, he agreed to come in and talk with me about it. Um, professional wrestling, as you will learn throughout my conversation with Mike, has been something that I've always sort of been on the fringes of and didn't really understand, and um, Mike really kind of opened the door and invited me in. So I feel like it's a good episode if you are already into professional wrestling, um, you can kind of hear Mike's perspective on it, uh, his facts and figures, um, but if you're not into professional wrestling like I uh, am not, um, it, it really does sort of open the window into it and you start to understand why so many people in your life sit down and continue to watch. Um, what can I say about Mike? He's an actor, he's an improviser, he's a director, he's a writer, and he's a white meat babyface who dreams of being a heel. If none of those words made sense to you, then continue listening, and by the end, all will become clear, but I'm wasting too much time talking here, so thank you for joining me for episode one. I hope you enjoy it, and take it away, Anthony. Out the new equipment, uh, learning what this is all about, and um, I am very excited because I know this guy is very, very passionate and big on uh, today's topic, and that is professional wrestling. Ooh, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so everybody welcome uh, Macho Man Randy Savage back from
1: the grave. Oh, yeah, <laughs> we got it. i a... dead, but I'm back, baby. Too hot to handle, too cold to hold. Ooh, yeah. Oh, yeah, big get,
0: big get for the first episode. Going
1: over to the other side, <laughs> pulling a get back from heaven. <laughs> It's my car, everybody. Hi. It's hey not. Mike. I'm not really Randy Savage. It was good. I love doing a Randy. Sa- it's one of my favorite impressions of wrestlers to do because he has such an impressionable voice. Oh, of course. Do you not find that it hurts? Uh, it's a little gravelly. It grab. hurts your voice, right? Yeah, you can't do it for too long. Yeah,
0: because the only, um, the only, the only thing that I know to do is, uh, is uh, from from s- the first Spider-Man where he plays yeah. Bone Saw, mm-hmm. um, and even doing Bone Saws. Ready? Um, it's just. It immediately just rips your voice up. Oh yeah, I don't know how.
1: I, and he has sounded he sounded like that his entire career. Mm-hmm. So like you know you go back to the 1980s and you listen to his promos. He's like, "What your man!" You're like, "Oh my god, his voice." Is that is that a? I mean, we're, we're
0: already kind of getting into the topic here. We but are. Um, is that is that a natural
1: voice of his, or is that something that he's putting on? I, I honestly don't know. Oh okay. Um, he. I, anytime you you if you heard him speak in public, mm-hmm. he had that voice. Uh, there's a couple of old interviews that are online. Uh, they call them shoot interviews in professional wrestling, mm-hmm. where they'll they'll talk to the wrestlers and they, they use the term shoot to mean like just shoot from the hip. So they're just going to oh, be, okay. uh, it means it's truthful. Um, so they'll have interviews. And in some of his interviews, he's talking like this. You know, it's not as high and crazy, but it's still got that. It's still uh, got like that, the gravel. That that gravel kinda, to it. So yeah. if it was put on, I think by the end of his life, it was just damaged vocal cords, I oh, have to af- imagine. Yeah, I can imagine.
0: Yeah, it sounds yeah. like it was just like I mean, like with what I assume anything is in wrestling, it's just sort of a heightened version of their own sort of like what or what they're coming in with. They're like uh, sort of a personality, or you know, if he had that voice, then it definitely was just sort of like a heightened version of
1: it. I would imagine, yeah. In in nowadays in wrestling, a lot of the the, the characters are closer to who they used to be, um, whereas back in the early days of wrestling, it was always. Uh, caricatures almost with right. the volume cranked up to 10 right you know? <laughs> right um, there oh, there's always a foreign bad guy that will always be a thing in professional wrestling mm-hmm. um, if someone looks vaguely ethnic and they come sure. into the wrestling business like hey you know what you're gonna be uh you're gonna be an iranian <laughs> terrorist character right. you know you're gonna be like like um i think the iron cheek is probably one of the best examples right he is iranian he was born in iran but he Came to America, lived in Minnesota, was an Olympian for America. Oh wow! Yeah, a lot of people don't know that is that he was an Olympic athlete. Right. But um, he got into professional wrestling, and because of his Iranian appearance, they were like, "You're going to be the Iron Sheik," and he became like one of the biggest villains, right, in early wrestling. So, so the villains,
0: because um, the villains kind of line up with whoever America is fighting at the time, right? Yeah, kinda. <laughs> uh, there's there's
1: lots of examples. Uh, oh, this is fun. Um, we're, da- we're getting right off the rails. I love it. Great. I, yeah, um, we're already off script. So we'll be jumping throughout time and talking about different things. I know, I'll, but um, because of what you just said, it reminds me of there's a character. You've probably heard of him. His name is Sergeant Slaughter. Yes. The G.I. Joe. Yep. He, he was originally, uh, he, I think, he, I want to say he was with the WWF at the time in the 1980s, but then he went to the AWA, which is a different wrestling organization. Okay, and that stands for? American Wrestling Alliance, I believe is what it stands for, or Mes- American Wrestling Association. Okay. I'm not 100% sure. I think it's the second one. But um, that was back in the territory days where there were different territories all across the country, so it wasn't just one global Company Like WWE is now it right. was WWF was in the Northeast. There was WCW down in Georgia. There was Florida Championship Wrestling. There was Memphis uh, run by Jerry the King Lawler. It was just all these wrestling territories. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. And, it, and WWF was one of them was one of them. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah.
1: And it was I think it, at first it was called the WWF. Mm-hmm. But then the current owner and CEO Vince McMahon bought his father's shares. And he decided to. He got into the infancy of cable television. Mm-hmm. Um, you cause remember when we were kids? It was you had the three channels on the old black and white TV. Yeah, we're not that old, but that's <laughs> like that was the TV I had in my room as a kid, right? But like then cable started to become a thing, and a nationally televised show there, no one was doing that as far as wrestling goes. They were all in their local promotions. So Vince McMahon said, "Well, I'm going to start getting a deal with cable. I think it might have been TBS, might have been Turner Broadcasting, mm-hmm. and." started to put his show on all all across the country and that pissed off all of these regional promotions because now they'd be having their wrestling show but now there's this other wrestling show from somewhere else playing on their tv yeah so like the stars of you know you'd be a star in an area then you could go to another area build up your name now all of a sudden there's this show from the northeast that's on every channel that's on every market yeah and it it pissed a lot of people off oh i can imagine yeah but that's a whole other topic. We were talking about Sergeant Slaughter. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's gonna happen. Things are gonna I think gonna tangentialize this one. That's great. Sergeant Slaughter, uh, when he he came back to WWF, I wanna say in like the ni- like early nineties, it was right after the um, Iraq war started, the first one, Desert mm-hmm. Storm. Yep. And Sergeant started S- on
0: my birthday. Did it really? Yeah, February twenty fourth, nineteen ninety two. Oh wow.
1: Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I was 10. <laughs> you wake up, it's my birthday, and everyone's like, America's <laughs> at war, son. We're at war. We're at war, son. Here's your present. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Sergeant Slaughter was back, and of course, he's a G.I. Joe. He was Sergeant Slaughter. You mm-hmm. know, everyone knows who he was, but they turned him, decided to turn him into an Iraqi sympathizer. Uh, so his character. Oh wow! Yeah, GI, uh, uh, Sergeant Slaughter. Um, they needed to make a bad guy. They wanted a bad guy champion, a heel champion who was realistic enough. Um, so Sergeant Slaughter aligned himself with Saddam Hussein and said that, like, he believed that Iraq was we were and we were wrong and Iraq was right. And, oh my god! Yeah, and at the time there was still the veil on wrestling where it wasn't uh outed as scripted right uh so a lot of people were believing it like fans believed it oh geez uh so yeah he would he aligned the iron Sheik came back uh under a different name to be i think it was general mustafa was the character's name that they gave the iron <laughs> it's Sheik. Such a, it's ridiculous it's such, a, <laughs> such a politically sensitive <laughs> yeah. name oh i'll get to something else that was not politically sensitive in a little bit um <laughs> that wasn't either um But yeah, so Sergeant Slaughter was now the WWF champion, Mm -hmm. and he was the biggest heel. That's what they call the bad guys, heels. Right. Um, And he was being an Iraqi sympathizer during that time, because that was our number one, that was our enemy. We were fighting Iraq. Right. Uh, But there was only one American hero that could defeat him, and that was Hulk Hogan. Oh. Of course. Of course. Um, Yeah, so Sergeant Slaughter, because people believed it, uh, he's talked about this in interviews and stuff, like he would get... Death threats and um, his wife would get death threats. Oh, I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. People would be like threatening his life. And, and you know, I think at times, like, they were, there were guys within the community. Like, if you watch the the interviews, they're like, do you want to keep doing this? Because this is pretty scary. And he's like, yeah, it's pretty scary. <laughs> that's insane. But he's old school and the old school wrestlers would live by their gimmicks and it didn't matter if fake or real. You know, I don't I hate to use the word fake um, because that's, I think that word insults the business of wrestling when yeah. people call it fake. Of course, because um, it's, it's scripted, it's theater. Uh, that's one of the another reasons I stayed in love with it. Um, they, one of these old school guys would excuse me.
0: We're drinking. Yeah,
1: we are. We're drinking beer while we talk about this. Yeah, um, the old school guys would believe in their characters so much, and because they would, because the fans didn't know it was scripted, they would stay in character no matter where they were. So if they would go to restaurants they would be in character. They would only travel good guys would only travel with good guys. Bad guys would only travel with bad guys. Oh, really?
0: So even if like your best friend was playing yeah. on the other side, you couldn't like be seen in public. No, no, because that would uh
1: I don't know what this word is where this word came from, but it's called kayfabe. Oh, okay. Yeah, you never broke kayfabe, brother. <laughs> kayfabe. <laughs> yeah. K A Y F A B E. Kayfabe. Interesting. I, I have to look up the the entomology of that word because right. I don't know what it is, but that's the idea. Like wrestlers would only travel with fellow good guys or fellow bad guys, except for a couple of notable exceptions that happened where people got in trouble. Uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan and I believe it was the Iron Sheik were driving together once, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan was another good guy, Mm -hmm. former American football player. He carried a two-by-four and screamed, like that was his (laughs) thing. He and the Iron (laughs) Sheik were driving, and I think they were smoking weed, and they got pulled over. Oh, wow. And I think they might have both lost their jobs because of it, because at the time, Vince was like, sorry, you guys... Because a, of the weed or because they were seen together? Probably more the second than the first. <laughs> um, and then there was a, there's another story of Hulk Hogan and the Wild Samoans in a car together. Mm-hmm. And I think the Wild Samoans were baby faces at the time, so that's that's the good guys, faces. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> realized, faces and heels. Faces and heels, yeah. Okay. And I the story goes that they got pulled over and Hulk Hogan was talking to the cops and saying, oh, these guys will attest, but the Wild Samoan characters didn't speak English, they only grunted. Oh. So in the car... They no. grunted and they did not say any words to the police, and they all got taken to the police station because these guys would not Cause talk. They couldn't like give a statement. They wouldn't give a statement. They are just like, <gasps> oh my God. Just <laughs> grunting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. They took it seriously. They really
0: did. Yeah. Wow. They really did. Wow. Um, okay. Before we go any further, uh, I did. Okay. So I, I do have a planned format for this show. And look, if you're listening to this, you know, thank you for for giving this a try good job on um you. if for whatever reason uh this is you know we're three years from now and we have many episodes under the belt and you're coming back and listening to this first one (laughs) hey the format may have evolved and changed you know what i mean but we're we're just we're freewheeling right now fast and loose but i've still got ideas here so i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in here with my first sort of segment uh and then we're gonna get back to what you were talking about because it is very interesting um but uh uh, something that i want to sort of explore on this show is um you know it's called what am i missing so i do want to sort of fill in the parts that i am aware of All right. about the topic. Um and you know because I'm learning they are very uh, it's very limited. Um but you how old are you? I'm 36. Okay, so we're we're the same age. Mm-hmm. Um you grew up in Boston. In Boston, um, Massachusetts. I grew up in a place called Lafayette, Colorado. So we grew up about 2000 miles apart. Mm-hmm. Um but uh right around the same time, we were both boys. At the same time. We were both boys. You were both boys. Uh, it's a big assumption I'm making about you, but I was a, I've been a bo- different. I've been a boy my whole life. Excellent. Um, so uh, so wrestling was sort of a part of the the culture and the landscape. Um, growing up, especially late 80s, early 90s, mm-hmm. um, and it certainly was for me uh, as well, uh, not so much that I sort of engaged and indulged in it, but I, I had a lot of friends who just who loved it. And at that time, I think it... it, it was still wwf mm-hmm. um and so uh, my my experience this is what i know about wrestling um like i said bonesaw saw from spider-man yep uh
1: uh he said that off the air you didn't he, he that was a previous discussion oh no that wasn't uh, this, that, that wasn't on, on, on here the air. yeah was, i forgot the, uh, <laughs> we've been chatting so i just forgot <laughs> we've already been talking for about 15 minutes oh yeah
0: oh yeah Bonesaw's saws ready um uh, and uh, the uh, the big thing for me was uh, Brett the Hitman Hart. Oh, because we're going to we, talk about Brett the Hitman because Hart. because he shares a name with me, and so that was whenever we would uh, at recess if we would act out wrestling, I was always the Hitman Hart mm-hmm. because because we had the same name. Um, so I'm I'm tangentially aware of him. Okay. Um. Uh, he his brother died. Yes. His okay. Brother <laughs> okay. His brother did die. I, I know that. Um, and, uh, let's see, uh, I know Hulk Hogan, Mm -hmm. and I know, uh, who you mentioned earlier, Jerry Lawler, um, via Andy Kaufman. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's kind of it. Okay. So, um, so now, uh, even though we've been talking about it already, the question is, what am I missing, Mike? Okay. Um, let's see, what are you missing? Um, well, why, why, if we grew up at the same time, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and we had, interestingly i think we've discovered through previous conversations between us um privately is that we have we have weird connections like voyage of the mimi yes um (laughs) which makes sense for you having grown up in new england like harbor town but not for me in landlocked colorado that's true yeah
1: why that would be shown there why why we cared about like taking hy- care of sea life and and the episode where they get hypothermia and they got to warm each other up Yeah. And there's the deaf girl and yeah. little Ben Affleck <laughs> you know
0: yeah and
1: then so
0: so we have you know we we have similar experiences mm-hmm. but but for some reason I just never you know because there was three things growing up it was wrestling it was teenage mutant ninja turtles and it was the simpsons and those were like if you were a, a boy at my school uh you know and some girls too but it was just that those were the things that you knew mm-hmm. and that you engaged in so what why i don't want i'm not asking you to psychoanalyze me
1: but why mm. did i walk away from that a lot of kids and what did. kept you what kept you in it um okay so i rem- my earliest memories of wrestling it was a family affair we would watch the pay-per-views and i would wa mm-hmm. i would always watch the saturday morning shows because saturday morning cartoons were a big thing when we were kids um and excuse me we're drinking beers. I burped and I didn't want to burp into the microphone. Um <laughs> So Saturday morning would have its wrestling shows on and I would always watch it. And my sisters would be around. I don't think they were necessarily watching, but my dad would always be kind of with me on it. And he would mm-hmm. he would he would watch it with me and I just fell in love with the the big characters and the over the top uh theatrics of it. I now I realize it was the over top theatrics. Yeah. Um so it was Something that we did as a family, I remember, I can remember on Thanksgivings because they had the four big pay-per-views. There was the Royal Rumble, which mm. was in January. Then uh, WrestleMania is the big one that happens every year. That was in April, May, or March that time. Then SummerSlam in the middle of the summer. And then the Survivor Series. And thanks was always originally on Thanksgiving night. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, like, we would be at my grandmother's for Thanksgiving and then go home and watch Survivor Series. Uh, and that became, like, a thing we did for years. And I just stuck with wrestling. I just I just enjoyed it. A lot of kids fell off. Like I remember Ninja Turtles being a big thing. Yeah. Um, and I I loved Ninja Turtles too. But wrestling always kind of stayed with me. I don't know why. I just I just connected to it. Mm-hmm. I think th- there was something of, there was an escapism to it that I really enjoyed that that yeah. I could almost relate to. I mean, because they I'm not. I mean, I was never a wrestler's size per se. But <laughs> but they're real people, and I I kind of connected to that. Yeah. Um. And we would go to we. My parents took me to two professional wrestling events as a kid, uh, and I remembered the dates. Oh wow! Like it's weird that I remember the dates of those. Yeah, March eighteenth, nineteen eighty-eight, and okay. then April twentieth, um, nineteen ninety, were the two were my first two wrestling events. Wow. Uh, the March eighteenth one I remember specifically. the The main event was Hulk Hogan versus the Big Boss Man, who was a former uh, deputy from Georgia, <laughs> who uh, was a bad deputy. And of course, he Hulk was. Hogan had to fight him. Yeah, they, yeah, <laughs> that's how it is. But we went to a restaurant, and I remember. I, I don't fully remember this, but my parents tell me the story, and my sisters also remember the story. Mm-hmm. The waitress spilled a drink on me, and I said to her, "Oh, are you new here, or does this happen often?" <laughs> as an as a seven year old kid, <laughs> I said that to an adult. <laughs> you turned heel. I did. I turned heel. <laughs> uh yeah, and it's it's um. So, so that was a big part of it, was growing up and watching it. And then, even in, I just as a kid, you know, being, a, you, you were an imaginative kid too. I mean, you're an artist and, yeah. you know, an improviser and actor. I always wanted to be a performer. And, I would see my like you know in, weird life events could happen like this is so lame but I'll I'll use it as an example yeah you know uh, a, a junior high breakup that happens and in your mind you go into you know you think about other situations where you could do what you wanted to do like oh I'll go tell her what I really think and like in my mind it became wrestling that's how it would be oh interesting it would be like. You know, I I can remember one particular breakup uh, where I got dumped. That was in sixth or seventh grade. Yeah. And it ended, and I was all mad. And in my head, I'm telling her how I really feel, but I'm in a wrestling ring holding a microphone. Oh, wow. Yelling at her. Yelling at her, and the fans are cheering me because she's the heel and I'm the baby face in that the, story. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it, it it became like a an imagination outlet for me in a lot of ways, too. Like yeah. Because I was so enamored with the world of it, I would... You know, imagine myself as a, as a wrestler. I'd, you know, play wrestling with all my toys, became wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a wrestling ring toy, and I, mem- I remember uh, I was very involved in making storylines. Like, I loved the idea of the long term. Yeah, now I know them as storylines, but at the time, it was like, okay, this guy hates this guy. They're going to have a match, but it's going to not end clear. So that way they can have another match later. And I would map out the entire like storylines of these characters. Oh, wow. And it was, you know, I had wrestling figures, but then I had four Ninja Turtles and the Ninja Turtles would be wrestlers. (laughs) Sure. They would be a four-person tag team. Yeah. Um, They would be a stable. Uh, They would come in and help each other out. Um, My favorite toy, and I actually bought one as an adult because I remember it as a kid, was a Ninja Turtle Casey Jones.
0: Oh, yeah, I had that one.
1: Yeah, and I loved it. And he was one of my wrestling toys. Sure. He was was the guy that uh, I made him... Go through the go through fight all the guys all the way to the top, mm-hmm. and he was my my champion. Um, so when I was an adult, I was like, I want a Casey Jones. So I bought one, yeah, I found one, and he sits on my shelf. Oh, he'd fit right in. Oh, he was great. Yeah. yeah, his hockey fighting attitude. And <laughs> yeah. His, yeah. Um. So yeah, that was a big part of why I loved it so much. So when you would uh, um
0: when you would imagine the the fights or whatever, did you? Stick pretty close to sort of what what had been established in the WWF or whatever it was you were watching, or did you come up with your own wrestlers or personas, or did you did you ever have like a like a a secret identity yourself, or like a a person that you
1: sort of like thought thought of yourself as? I never had a name for myself. Like some kids have like wrestling names themselves, but like I could I was imagining myself as a wrestler. Right. And my favorite, yeah. But um, my favorite thing I thought of for me Mm -hmm. when I was young was. I would be a wrestler who would go away for a while, and then I would come back under a mask, right. and then reveal myself oh, okay. as the guy who came back. I was I was so fascinated by that because <laughs> I had this like skeleton mask as a kid, and I was like, oh, this mask is scary. Yeah. So I'd put it on and be like, oh, I'm a different guy now, and I walked.
0: So they'd introduce this mystery, wrestler. yeah, this mystery then...
1: character who was just tearing it up, and everyone's like, who is that guy? And then all of a sudden, it's he, that guy
0: that you, it's make me remember, it's me from a few years ago.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, my to- my playing when I was a kid, like I would. Yeah, if if a guy was a good guy on TV, they would be a good guy. When I played, right? But I wouldn't follow the storylines on TV. Like I right. would make my own because I had all these new characters to play with, like Casey Jones, and then you know other whatever the toy I had would become a wrestler. Yeah.
0: Wow, that's cool. Um. So uh. So growing up, then who who was like when you first started getting into it? Like who did you connect with? Who was like who was your favorite
1: at the time? My favorite when I was little was Hulk Hogan, mm-hmm. and I think most kids say that because he was it was hulk hogan that kind of made wrestling he was the character that made wrestling popular like he was a superhero yeah to watch him and uh like when we were kids like hulk hogan was everywhere you know oh yeah yeah oh of course he was so he was always my favorite and then things changed um i I guess i kind of got bored with him because i was growing up like Mm -hmm. i remember it was probably 1992, actually, 1993, right around then, where I was 11 or 12, I think. And I was still watching wrestling. I a lot of people at that point, like a lot of my friends, didn't really watch it. And it wasn't cool to watch wrestling anymore. Right. Like, it just never... It really was never... It wasn't cool until a certain time coming up, like in late high school for us mm-hmm. and college. Um, but I still watched it because I still enjoyed it. Um, and I stopped liking Hulk Hogan because I just kind of got bored with it. Like, I was... You could see the the seams. I guess is the way I'll put it. In like sure, um, like he, like he was just too, too it, ubiquitous, or like he was just like it, it, it was too predictable. And, right, and like you'd watch a match, like okay, I know what he's gonna do. He's gonna do that. He's gonna hulk up. He's gonna hit the big boot. Then he's gonna drop the leg. Drop one, two, three. Right, um, and. It became you ended up rooting against him. Like I think it was WrestleMania Seven. Uh, they built up the Ultimate Warrior mm-hmm. to be his opponent for WrestleMania, and they were both good guys. And that had never. They usually don't do good guy versus good guy. Well, they didn't. They do it all the time now. But yeah. Um, and I remember Hulk Hogan lost, and I was like, okay, good. <laughs> like I was, I was, I was okay with it as a yeah. kid um, because it was time for something new. The Ultimate Warrior was not great. Right. Um, well, had he lost. Before that? Hulk Hogan? Yeah. Very rarely. Okay. Like if it, it would always it, actually I don't think he did. Like he if he did it was because something something illegal or unfair happened. Right, right, right. Yeah. It was Somebody never, cheated. It was yeah. never it was never clean. Right. Um <laughs> but uh so, yeah, th- then I started to shift to the more realistic characters, and mm-hmm. ironically, one of them is Bret the Hitman Hart. All right. Yeah. Um, he became he's he became my favorite wrestler and has stayed my favorite wrestler of all time. Okay. Yeah, he's my number one.
0: See, this is why I had you on. I knew.
1: I knew. <laughs> um, and I say more realistic because the the age of, uh, as <laughs> an angry Bret Hart once said, all the giant dinosaurs, um, the old dinosaurs, he would call all the old wrestlers, um started to shift and the energy was starting to go towards the newer younger wrestlers mm-hmm. who were smaller and i say smaller because the steroid trials happened oh um the wwe uh, wwf a lot of wrestlers were on steroids they were just gigantic roided out dudes mm-hmm. um uh, not all of them but you know there was steroid use and the i don't remember all the specifics but one of the athletic commissions um was suing them and it became a federal case. Oh wow. In the federal in the, you know, the US federal court mm-hmm. and they were being sued and Vince McMahon had to go to them and say, We're not a sport. Like he had to admit that it's not that it's scripted. And Oh, okay. Like it, it changed the business. It right. changed the business of wrestling because to that point most people, as you were an adult, adults knew it wasn't real, but they never admitted it. And now he had to admit it to avoid federal charges.
0: Oh wow. Yeah. And what year was that? Or 92, 93. So that was around the same time that you said that most most people started like pulling away from. Yeah, it. Do, do,
1: is there a connection? I think or so. Think? Yeah, yeah, because like um, Hulk Hogan testified against the WWF, I believe in that star, in that in that trial, and then he went over to WCW, which was the rival company, mm-hmm. uh, and he started working there. But WCW was not as popular, so the WWF was kind of in this place where all their established stars were gone, and they had all these younger wrestlers who were. Not as established that they now had to get over uh, to become popular, right? And that's when I kind of turned to Brett the Hitman Hart because he became their guy. He he was, you know, Hulk Hogan. I want to say is like six seven, six eight, three hundred pounds. Yeah, Bret Hart was six two, two thirty. You know, he right. was he was a regular sized person. Right, was still bigger than most people, but <laughs> right, but like you know.
0: But he was a little more uh, I imagine he was a little more accessible, yeah. to a fan and, and and a little easier to say, especially if everybody's on steroids, like you said, which mm-hmm. I I guess never thought about or put together, but that makes complete sense., yeah. but to see somebody who's a little more, I guess like human sized, yeah, and it's easier to sort of put yourself in uh, uh, use your imagination and go like, "Oh, he's more like me than yeah, you know, and, some and, of these freaks.
1: Yeah, and you like in the past. It was as a little kid, you're like, oh, I'm looking up to this hero. But then as you're getting older, you're like, I can see myself in these people. Right? They're more vulnerable. They're more real. And a lot of these other wrestlers as well, like Bret Hart and other guys at the time, like Shawn Michaels and uh, the the one two three kid was one of them, (laughs) and (laughs) Razor Ramon. uh, uh, They were all guys, and and Jake the Snake Roberts. We'll talk about him in a second. Mm -hmm. Um, These new guys were faster. They worked a different kind of style because the old wrestlers. It was very if you watch the old, old, old wrestling, it's all just like big dudes just hamhocking each other, just you right. know, smacking each other. There right. wasn't a lot of flying, a lot of quick moves. But these younger wrestlers were much more athletic, and they could do these super cool moves. And the matches weren't predictable anymore. Like, sure, you could watch it and go, "I don't know what's going to happen."
0: Well, I imagine that they had to, um, uh, you know, based on what you said about like accessibility and about like them going on cable, and suddenly, I imagine it became. Uh, by necessity, that they had to start getting more creative with things, because yeah. I assume in the early days it was easy to just take a show from like
1: place to place, and that's kind of... what would happen. Like, um, th- you would stay in your promotion, but like you you'd stay in your in your region, um, but you'd you'd go from town to town in your region, yeah. and you'd do the same show every night because right. they're not seeing it, and then your big stars could travel. Like, you would lend out your big stars to other promotions, so. Um, Andre the Giant's a good example. Um, he would work for WWF, but then they would lend him out to another territory for a few months. Okay. Just, uh, and the reason you would do that is because he was an attraction. He was something you wanted to see him do his thing. Yeah. If he was on TV or somewhere all the time, you'd probably lose interest because you'd see it all the time. Mm-hmm. But when a wrestler goes to an, a territory for six months and then he leaves and then he doesn't come back for another two years, it makes it that much more exciting. Right. Now with everybody being on TV all the time, the same people on TV, it's the interest can wean, wane not wean, <laughs> wean off, well, the, the public weans off of them a little bit because they seem so much. Like a, like a baby on a boob. Yep. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, that's, I think that's a big part of what happened is yeah. being nationalized. The public is now seeing the same thing over and over again, as opposed to just small snippets of it. So it doesn't hold as, as long attention as it would in the past. Right.
0: And I imagine that the that the newer sort of uh, the newer guys at that time the, the new generation the, that's what they were called oh okay wow yeah. I almost hit upon something you accidentally. did um, but the newer generation I'm sure was a little more uh, savvy to that whereas the people who had sort of come up and then sort of were uh, you know at the same time or or within the uh, within the um, different um, regions and stuff mm-hmm. and then were sort of introduced to a television market kind of didn't they didn't they didn't feel the need to sort of like um you know develop their personalities any further than just like ah this is kind of what i do in the ring and i'm a bad guy or i'm a good guy whereas like that new generation sort of like was almost a generation removed from that and so they were like oh no we need to make these like interesting deep like you know or or with motivations and actual like characters yeah it's an
1: it's and it's a natural evolution of things too like um People, you know, you see what has gone what has worked in the past. Yeah, doesn't always work with the next group of people. So, right. uh, I mean, you can look in our industry, you know, in improv, and specifically, like they were even at SAC, the things of the the past don't necessarily work now. And this, the, oh, you, you have yeah. to evolve. You have to change completely. Yeah, and I think a lot of the newer wrestlers recognize that they would they would um, the there's a an interview with Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels who are legendary and they had a huge rivalry and mm-hmm. you know, at one point hated each other for real and then reconciled mm-hmm. um, there. That's a whole story. Um, you got 16 hours, I got some <laughs> stories. Um, but they, like they, in, in an interview that they gave, like they would talk about how, you know, the main eventers, you know, the Hulk Hogan's, the um, King Kong Bundy's, you know, the, these big older wrestlers of the past would come yeah. in on what they call house shows, which are non-televised shows in different towns. So like that's when like, Hey, they're coming to your hometown, pay a ticket to see them do a show. the, the big name main event guys would go on to end the first half. They would take an intermission break, so they could then leave. Meanwhile, okay. the back half of the show is all these younger guys who are like, "Well, we get to do whatever we want right now," and they're going out and they're putting on these stellar matches. And the fans are like, "Wow, this is so different! Right? I like this." So they had to evolve to kind of to, to stay relevant, sure, and to, to claw their claw their way to a, to a main event spot. Yeah, but um, yeah, that's kind of yeah, it kind of there was a natural evolution of the the guys saying what can we do different to stand apart from the old guys? And again, the old guys were, that was their style. That's what they came up in.
0: Of course, yeah.
1: And, you know, I, I've never worked in the wrestling industry. I know people in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, you know, I've never asked questions about what their backstage life is like. I only read interviews, re, uh, read articles and watch interviews on YouTube and stuff. But, you know, there was an old school mentality of the way they did things. And now they were kind of shifting away from that.
0: Right. And how interesting that, like, the new generation sort of uh, learned from the, you know, you sort of put it in the context of... Um, improv and especially what we do at sack um and and for those of you don't know SAC is a comedy um improv comedy uh theater in downtown orlando that both mike and i work at he's the artistic director um but um but uh, you know to to sort of learn from the past to sort of learn you know not only from the mistakes but the the successes of what came before us but then i can you know it's it's fascinating to imagine to take all of that and then go up on stage and like basically just like shit all over them and call them <laughs> out in front, you know, it's so, so it's interesting in wrestling that it was just like that the next generation, like, like you said, Brett, uh, the Hitman heart would come
1: out and just be like these dinosaurs, he you didn't, know, and it's just... he didn't do it in the shows. He did it years later. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. But he, th- th- that group of wrestlers, they wrestled a different style and they, they, they didn't have as much success as they did in the eighties because the the population kind of fell out of love with wrestling for a Mm, while. mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't. I still stuck with it because it was something that a small group of friends and I, we would watch and we would just enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. And it got popular again in 1996 probably is when the NWO premiered. Okay. And the NWO is, that was Hulk Hogan again. That's how he reinvented himself. He he went heel. Um, I do remember that, and I think that's one of the that's another one of those benchmark moments for wrestling. Is Hulk Hogan joined this this tag team called the Outsiders, which was Scott Hall and Razor Scott Hall, who was Razor Ramon in WWF, mm-hmm. and Kevin Nash, who was Diesel in WWF. Okay, uh, they were there part of the new generation. They got an offer from WCW that was like, "Hey, come work for us for guaranteed money and less dates," and they were like, "Sure." Yeah, we'll do that in a heartbeat. And yeah. they, they, and they wanted to be loyal. Like they they would ask they'd say to Vince, "Can you match this?" and he would say no. Mm-hmm. So they had to go over and do that. They had to cuz it's you're going to work less than half the time and make three times the money. Right. Sure. Right. Like, who's not going to take that? But then they their group, uh they added Hulk Hogan and he he dropped the leg on the Macho Man, Ooh, yeah, <laughs> and turned heel and No one ever thought he would do it. Yeah. And, you know, he wasn't the original third man. It was a couple other people they were going to use, but it wound up being Hulk Hogan, and I think that was the best thing because then now wrestling had this group of guys that were the bad guys, and they were winning. They were going into the ring, and they were beating everybody up. They were clearing the ring out. They were spray-painting their opponents with the NWO letters, Right, and they wore all black, and they had a very simple wrestling shirt Mm -hmm. um, because the wrestling shirts are... <laughs> merchandise is a big part. was a big part of the... is a big part of the independent wrestling business. Yeah. Because wrestlers will... Like indie wrestlers travel around and they'll work at armories or wherever they can work, wherever shows are happening and they'll sell merch. T-shirts mm-hmm. and stuff like that. The NWO's T-shirt was just the three letters. It looked like kind of a chalk drawing and it just looked cool. Yeah. And it was 1996, so it was very cool. Yeah. Uh, and people would like that shirt was a cool shirt to wear. So the NWO was kind of changing wrestling Yeah, and WCW had the NWO. So Vince McMahon and WWF were getting their asses kicked every week in ratings Mm because now it is two national companies instead of the one national company. And they're, you know, at this point they're fighting for who's going to be number one in the industry. WCW has the NWO. So, WWF needs to answer with something and that's how stone cold Steve Austin was born. Okay. And that's a name that a lot of people know. Yeah. Because he was he was a wrestler in WCW for a long time and he didn't really he did well but he never broke out of his shell so to speak. Yeah. Uh, then he went to a company called ECW which was called Extreme Championship Wrestling mm-hmm. which was the sort of the underground thing of wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um and he did really well there, but then he went to WWF, and at the time, they were still doing kind of the silly characters. Right. Um, they, they made him someone called the Ringmaster. Uh, you know, and, and uh, some other character. They had these other weird characters. Uh, there was a period of time where everyone was a weird character. There was a guy named Duke the Dumpster Drossy, who was a garbage man. There was... Yeah. Um, there was the repo man who wore like a, a mask on his eyes and Uh carried a hook and he would repo your stuff. He (laughs) He would just repossess your stuff. Yeah, he would, he would like come out and steal people's (laughs) things like, I'm the repo man. Uh, There was, oh God, some of the characters, there was Papa Shango who was like a voodoo priest Uh who painted his face like a skeleton and would put spells on people. Like it was just, it was super cartoony. Yeah. But the NWO wasn't. It was just three guys wearing black t-shirts kicking people's ass. Right. So people were like, we want that more. So, Eventually, like uh, Jake the Snake Roberts, who I was going to talk about earlier, because he, in the 80s, was a, he was a big name in the 80s, mm-hmm. when everyone did the same kind of promo. Uh, promos are when the wrestlers get on the microphone and talk to the, the yeah. audience or talk to their opponents. Yeah, You got Hulk Hogan, let me tell you something, brother, and you got Randy Savage doing his thing. Mm-hmm. Jake the Snake Roberts never raised his voice. Because he knew that he had to be different. Because he wasn't a bodybuilder, dude. He he didn't touch the steroids. Right. Uh, you could, oh, you, well, him. you looked at him and he looked like an average average guy. Right. Like he was tough and but just looked like a regular dude. But he was uh, what they call ring psychology. He was a master of that. He knew how to get the entire audience in the palm of his hand. Sure. No matter how big the arena was, they were all on his side. Mm-hmm. But he would never speak above this volume in his in his promos. He might go like this, but then he'd go right back to that. Right. And Ooh, as a fan, great. it was so different. And yeah. you were like this guy's amazing. So he, he was actually the wrestler that Stone Cold fought the night that he won something called the King of the Ring, Mm -hmm. uh, which was just one of their events. And Jake Roberts was doing this kind of preacher kind of character where he was talking about the Bible. And in the first match of the night, Stone Cold Steve Austin got hurt and had to go get stitches. Mm. So he left the arena, came back, and they were, and he was like, what happened? So somebody said to him, oh, uh, you're fighting Jake, and he made some kind of biblical quotes about you, and Austin says, okay. So in his head, he came up with the promo of, uh, you know, you got your Psalms, you got your John 316, well, Austin 316 says, I just whooped your ass. Mm. And he said that, just off the cuff, in his promo, at the end of the night. Yeah. The next night on TV, people were holding up signs that said Austin, Austin 316. 316. Wow. So then that shirt... Just the white lettering Austin 316 mm-hmm. became just as cool as an NWO shirt. Sure. It's nice and simple. And he started to take off. And then WWF realized they needed to go in a more edgy direction. Okay. Uh, yeah, because they were they, they had the hokey characters and WCW wasn't doing that. They had the NWO who was growing and starting to overtake the business and they were breaking the fourth wall. And yeah. really um and Eric Bischoff, who was the, re- the leader of WCW president and creative head, he was doing things on the show that wrestling shows had never done before. He was giving away the results of WWF shows because they were pre-taped every week. Oh, wow. They would go live one week, tape the next week, live live and tape. Yeah. So on his show that was live every week, he was like, hey, guess what's going to happen on the other show? Uh, Papa <laughs> Shango is going to beat this guy. And everyone was like, whoa, whoa. you can't do that. Yeah. So WWF had to do something to respond, otherwise they would have gone out of business. Right. So they... They started to go with the Austin character, who was, you know, coming to the ring, knocking people out and drinking beer in the middle of the ring. That sure. was what he did. Uh, then they created a group called Degeneration X, which was Shawn Michaels and Triple H uh, in yeah. China, the late great China, uh-huh. and they were sort of an answer to the NWO, but they weren't like hell bent on taking over the wrestling industry. They were just doing crazy shit, right? You know, inappropriate shit. <laughs> yeah. So, so here's. Okay, because I've been talking for a long time. This, I hope this isn't boring,
0: and it's not boring at all. Okay, in fact, it's it's filling in a lot of things, whether you recognize it or not. Because good, um, because my brother, now that we're talking about it, I realize that around this time, my brother was really into wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I guess I have to amend what I said earlier because I am once again tangentially aware of Triple H and mm-hmm. like mankind. Oh and like, yeah these wrestlers and I realized it's because my brother was into it. Now my my question um at that time and and ever since has always been like what what is the and I think you've already answered this but you can go into more detail. Okay. You like but what my question was always like what is the what is the the draw of a guy who's literally just like not wearing a shirt, and wearing a pair of jeans, which is what I always felt like Steve Austin, you know what I mean? Sure. So I never understood, like, what makes him stand out or what makes him unique from some guy off the street. But I guess what it sounds like is that he was just so fundamentally different than everything that had come before that, Yeah. that it was just like his almost normalcy, like you said, drinking beer in the ring and just sort of being kind of like,
1: just super down to earth in the sense that he wasn't a cartoon. Yeah. yeah. He was the everyman. And and until that point, there hadn't been an everyman. Okay. There was there there were characters that were similar, like Dusty Rhodes uh, is a famous character who was, he, he would call himself the common man. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have a bodybuilder's body at all. He was very doughy. Right. Um, <laughs> but, but he was super charismatic and yeah. people loved him because they could see themselves in him. Stone Cold, he was still a big muscular dude, but he wore jeans. Other wrestlers wore trunks or tights. Right. he drank beer they didn't do that he flipped the bird he 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 was also um very anti-authority yeah. and that was something that a lot of people drew to especially the demographic that wrestling was playing to at that time was young male demographic it was yeah you know the the 18 to 25 demographic yeah at least it started to go that way so stone cold uh he his main adversary if you were to ask people who is stone cold's biggest adversary some would say the rock um but the real answer is Vince McMahon because mm-hmm. of the way they they kind of crafted things. So I'll go back a little bit. Okay. So Stone Cold was gaining a lot of traction. The fans were starting to really get attracted, but he was still a heel. He was still a bad guy. Yeah. But fans were starting to get into it because, again, they could see themselves in him. He, he was different. So Bret Hart was still around at the time. Mm-hmm. Bret Hart was in WWF. And he had just come back, and he'd worked a match with Stone Cold, and they had a great match. Brett was still the old school. Now, Brett is the old. Right. And Stone Cold's the the new. He's the dinosaur. But Brett recognized it. And he recognized that the fans were really recognizing Stone Cold and not necessarily him. right? And he and Vince McMahon and Stone Cold, they worked together for one particular match where they said, we need to do something big. And it was WrestleMania 13. Uh, Stone Cold was fighting Bret Hart. And in the match, they switched babyface and heel they've never really done that before. Mm-hmm. They, I mean there might have been times before but this was such a big moment because Bret Hart was the, you know, he's the safe he's safe to watch on Saturday mornings. That was kind of one of the taglines that was thrown around about that time at him. It's like yeah. your kids are safe watching me. They're not safe watching Stone Cold who's drinking beer and saying swear words. And, you know, and Stone Cold would just say, Screw you, Bret Hart. And, you know. <laughs> uh, so they had a match and in and it was a submission match, uh, which is Bret Hart's specialty, because he was a submission wrestler, but Stone Cold was not. He was a brawler. So the match had um in the match they were they were going back and forth. They got color, which means they bled. At the time you're not supposed to bleed. Because mm-hmm. wrestlers used to cut themselves all the time. If you look at some old wrestlers' heads, it just looks like a map, a top, topographical map, because, <laughs> because of they would all, cut themselves. Yeah, and there'd be tons of scars. Oh, interesting. So at the time, there was a rule: no blood at all. So Bret Hart and Stone and, and Stone Cold were talking and working out their match because that's what they did. They worked out their matches, right? um And you know, both of them were like, you know what, this match needs because the the finish was uh, Stone Cold passing out to Bret Hart's finishing move, and Bret Hart wasn't going to let go when mm-hmm. he passed out and that's a heel move like a good guy wouldn't do that a bad guy would do that right and the good guy would never give up so that's when they did the switch um so they decided like well if you're going to be passing out you wouldn't just pass out like you need to be really hurt you need to bleed and they're like well we can't bleed so Bret Hart said to stone cold here's what we'll do i'll cut you during the match oh and stone cold's like you think so it's like yeah yeah don't worry I, we won't tell anyone. We'll make it look like it's it was done hard way. Hard way means getting hit and bleeding. Right. So he's like, we'll make it look like it was real. Don't worry. We're not going to get in any trouble. Okay, great. Let's do it. So they're in the match and they've both, uh, there's a couple of interviews where they're talking about this. They're in the match and Bret Hart gets ready to do it. They're getting to the time and Stone Cold says to him, because wrestlers all talk during the matches. They talk to each other. Yeah. And Stone Cold says to him, I don't know if we should do this. And Bret Hart says, too late. <laughs> 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 and, then, and then they went into the spot, and. I've watched the video numerous times. Bret Hart cuts his head. You never see the blade. You never see when he does it. Yeah. He just does it real quick, and then when Stone Cold comes back up, he's got blood pouring down his face. So he, so he so
0: he's not cutting his own head. He's cutting Steve Austin's head. Yeah, he cuts Steve Austin's head. Okay, and are they holding, like, razor
1: blades? Bret Hart had a razor blade in his mouth. Oh, my God. Like a sliver of a razor blade in his mouth Yeah. for most of the match. What they do is... Sometimes like the wrist tape the wrestlers have, yeah, they'll tape a tiny wrist, a, t- a little piece of a razor blade mm-hmm. on that and cover it over. and then when it comes time, they'll take it off and, and, and blade themselves. They don't do it anymore, But right. Back in the old days, wrestlers did that all the time. Was that to sell the sell the truth and makes it more dramatic right. And so there's a so Bret Hart did that to Stone Cold. he was bleeding yeah and in the final moments of the match, Bret Hart's got him in the sharpshooter, which is his finishing move. and Stone Cold is, is trying to arch himself up. And the blood is just pouring down his face. Yeah. And he won't give up. And then he passes out. And Bret Hart doesn't let go of the hold, doesn't let go of the hold. And the fans are booing. And, you know, now... They're booing Bret Hart. They're booing Bret Hart. And there were some fans that were already doing that, but now everybody was booing him. Right. Because he turned his back on his fans. And he w- did the thing that heroes don't do. right? Uh, it was it was an amazing... And it's a so great... So dramatic. Yeah, it was. And... <laughs> And then, as he's walking out, like Stone Cold, he's getting helped out, but he's not—he's refusing help. And the people are cheering. Like Bret Hart walks out, and there's a fan that says something to him, and Bret Hart looks right at the fan, and the camera catches it, and he goes, "Fuck you!" Oh, wow. to a fan, <laughs> and and so he
0: went like all in. He on did, it.
1: yeah, because you know um, that's another thing about the old school wrestlers—they go all in on their characters. Sure. So he's like, "That's what I got to do." Yeah, just fuck you to a fan, and the he walked back, and as Stone Cold was getting helped out, the people were just cheering for him. And he turned around, Austin turned around and looked at the crowd, didn't give them like a nod or anything like to let them know, hi, all right, guys, thanks, just kind of looked at them in this real great moment of, and you could see him being like, okay, and then he goes back. And it was just, it was so well done. Yeah. But that was, after that, uh, everyone was all about Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, yeah, he 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 became a hero without having to do any of the goody two shoes good guy stuff. Right, and he never changed what he did. He didn't. Yeah. He didn't all of a sudden start acting like a like a traditional babyface. He still did the same things he did, but people were now cheering it. Right. So when he went on to Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon was the owner of the company, but when Bret Hart was starting to turn heel, mm-hmm. they revealed that like they'd never revealed it before. Vince owned the company, but he was the commentary guy. Right. So all of a sudden a couple of incidents with Brett where Brett would go over and yell at him and people were like, Why is he yelling at the commentary guy? And then it was found out that Vince was the owner of the company. Oh, so they nobody knew that. The at fans that point. didn't know. Oh,
0: interesting. Yeah.
1: So after that whole thing happens, Vince McMahon, you know, puts Stone Cold basically straps the rocket to Stone Cold in in, in terms of wrestling and it says, You're gonna be the next champion. We're yeah. gonna build you up to that moment. But the way he did it was he he, as the owner, kept trying. He was being the babyface, going, You got to be a good company man. And fans would boo him. And then, you know, he was like, You got to be, you know, you got to be a, a corporate champion. You got to be a good champion for the company. And Stone Cold would just flip him off and drink beer and walk away. Yeah. And the fans just loved it because it was the guy getting to tell his boss to go to hell. <laughs> right. You know, like he got to do that.
0: Well, and he, it almost sounds like he created like a third category. Like, I mean, Mm-hmm. did they, did they ever, is that a thing? Cause I look, th- and here's the thing. I'm going to always tie this back to comics. Um, sure. But it's that it's, it, it does seem to be around that same time where it was like uh, Marvel, especially, you know, where it was just like the nineties were such a weird <laughs> time of like celebrating the antihero. And I don't know if it was, uh, y- y- you know, because of the war, whatever, whatever the socioeconomic psychosec, you know, whatever it was, um, uh, the, the the but the it was like the the, the antihero was celebrated. Yeah. You know, and so like um so, and, and so it sort of sounds like that was that same thing where it, it was, was just like we're gonna celebrate the guy who somehow lost his match, but like, you know, won the hearts of everybody, but he's not changing who he is and he's still flipping off the establishment. Yep. But we're you know, and it's just like what an what an interesting like third thing now where yeah. it's like it's he's not quite a face but he's not quite a heel. Yeah,
1: and and he never changed his ways from yeah. that point forward until he went heel years later. Um because he had been such a mega babyface, the fans loved him. Right. But the business had changed at that point. Mm-hmm. And and all of this is happening at a time where I'm learning that the business that wrestling is not real. Um that I'm learning it's scripted. Okay. Um I mean I always had a suspicion, but then like, you know, the the truth comes out and I had a reaction that was oh, so they're actors. And mm-hmm. that's how I took it. I, I had friends who were like, oh, they're fakers. I was like, no. Like, they're performing a live show yeah. on television weekly, touring the country, doing a live touring show, and doing pay-per-view shows. They're performers. Yeah. And when I found that out, I became more interested in the business. Sure. Because these guys are, they're, in a way, they're actors. And they're improvising. And they're, they're, all of these things are happening at once. Well, and they're committing themselves 100%, oh, yeah, yeah. Which, which is, uh,
0: I mean, which is rare in our industry. You <laughs> oh, know? god, yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, I, I would never willingly cut myself and <laughs> <to>, you know, <laughs> or let someone else do or it, or let somebody else, yeah, cut, cut me. your head, <laughs> yeah,
1: it'll move the plot forward, yeah, no, that's okay, but yeah, it, it <clears throat> I became so much more invested in it when I found out that it was scripted, yeah, because it's now these guys are performers, they're actors, and that's what I wanted to be, so. I related to it on a whole new level now. Yeah. Every, I would And I would watch matches. Like I would go back and watch old videos and I would see moments where they're talking to each other. And I'm like, oh God, yeah, there it is. They're figuring it out. Yeah. Um, and knowing how they do it, you know, that, you know, sometimes they'll plan out an entire match. Like Randy Savage was notorious for planning every moment in his match. Mm-hmm. If he had a 25 minute match, he planned every moment, wow. every wrestling hold, every turn, every, everything was meticulously planned. Then there were other wrestlers that would just go out and go, what do you want to do tonight? I don't know. We'll figure it out. And yeah. then they go out in the ring and they call it in the ring. And I, I find that so fascinating.
0: So how do you um because this has always been sort of a question for me is how do you when you when you have these personalities, is it is it is this does it come down to like the business? Somebody on top is telling you who's gonna
1: win or lose a yep. match or how yeah? Yeah, there's um And are just gonna have to figure out how to get there. Yeah, or? there's a creative they have a creative team now. They have writers and you know, they've had comedy writers work for them now. Like uh yeah, and the way it's always been is whoever is the biggest star is going to win um and they'll for for the matches they'll have usually i think it's vince mcmahon or might be triple h now because he's kind of running things Mm -hmm. but um they'll say okay tonight uh you know for for example um stone cold steve austin and bret Hart. you're going to fight uh brett's going over you're going to use the sharpshooter uh and you're going to pass out great uh and then if the wrestlers want to they can try to you know, there's always, there's always legends of people politicking for better positions on the card or, right uh, cause you, the higher on the card you are, the more money you get. At least that's the way it used to be. I don't know if it's that way anymore. I think they're on contracts now, mm-hmm. but it used to be like, if you're the main event, you're getting paid a shitload of money. If you're the opening card, opening wrestling match on the card, you're not getting much, Right. you know, so you'd want to move up the card. But at the same time, the boss tells you what to do. You're an employee. You, you do what you're told. Sure. Um, but yeah, they're typically given the finish by whoever knows it and then they work it out. They don't tell the referees the finish. At least that's what I understand. Oh, okay. So the referees are in the ring genuinely counting one, two, three. Right. But they don't know when it's going to end. Oh. So they just know. Like, they have earpieces in so they'll be told from the back like, all right, they're going home. Going home means ending the match. Like, hey, they're going home. So then they can communicate that to the wrestlers. Right. Because with TV time... So many matches will go over. Mm-hmm. Or they're like, you have five minutes. They'll go six minutes, or like they—they they were given seven minutes, and they're told they have to finish the match in three. You right. know, so the referee is the one who's now going like, you know, you guys have three minutes. Like, you got to yeah. finish. Like, go home. Like, tells them what they have to do. So it's very—it's very complex. Oh, it is. It, it's super complex. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's and um, even more so now because it's the WWE Network. Right now, there are. Countless shows going on where they're following wrestlers with cameras, and and they're kind of more willing to show the backstage world of it. Yeah, you know, because at the time, you know, when we were growing up, we thought wrestling was real because the business was so guarded. But now they're way more open with, yep, this is all scripted, right? Uh, But when it's but it's a TV show, so when they're on TV, you know, you're going to boo and cheer this guy. But right now, we're going to show a video of him backstage you know, getting ready and hearing about that I'm losing tonight. You know, they'll they'll show things like that. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, and that's all part of the dramatics as well. They've they've taken the show backstage and in a lot of cases are saying, like, well, yeah, it's it's scripted, but now what else is scripted backstage? Like there's there's a show called Total Divas, which is about uh, the women in wrestling. Yeah. And it follows them outside of the ring and in the ring. And the storylines on that show, it's like a reality show. Mm-hmm. The storylines on that somewhat line up with the TV show, but not entirely. But that's also all worked. Like that's a, that's a scripted show. Is it really? It's a scripted show. Oh my gosh. But it looks like a, rea- but it's a reality show. Right. You know, so it's it's fascinating the way they're doing the business now. It's
0: interesting that they've um, sort of embraced embraced it where they, they have. for so many years tried to like avoid any sort of hint that it was like scripted or you know thought about or pre-planned and now all of a sudden it's like now they realize like oh we can do a lot
1: more yeah now that we've sort of embraced it and just sort of said like
0: yeah it's entertainment just like anything
1: yeah. else they have a show on the WWE Network called Table for Three where mm-hmm. they get three wrestlers they sit them down they feed them and then they just talk about the business. They talk about their experiences together. And it's so fascinating. It's yeah. just amazing to hear them talk about and then tell stories like, oh, I remember this night in San Diego. Oh, yeah, we did this thing. We did this thing. Yeah. And it's just, it's incredible. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So when I found out it was scripted, I was way more into it because mm-hmm. I was, I could see myself in it even more now. Right.
0: So there's, um, you know, there's a so I kind of got away from wrestling, and then I didn't really hear about it for a really long time. And then once I moved back to our back to Orlando, like I live here, once I moved <laughs> down to Orlando, all of a sudden it was just like back in my life. Yeah. Um, whether it was on Facebook or people talking about it around me, but it was just like I went like twenty plus years of my life never hearing about wrestling to all of a sudden hearing about it like at least once a day. So what what is it? what is the draw either in Orlando or in, in the community that we happen to be a part of, mm-hmm. of, of actors and performers? Um, but it, it just, it seems to be everywhere. Uh,
1: in Orlando, Orlando, Orlando and central Florida is kind of wrestler territory. Mm-hmm. A lot of them live here. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. A lot. Of, and, uh, WWE has their performance center down here. They opened up a facility and, uh, At that facility, they train new wrestlers. They train them how to work. They train them how to be in the ring. They train them how to do promos. Mm -hmm. And they put on shows. They never had something like that. When the business was growing, going up, they you would you would go to wrestling schools. You would, if you wanted to learn how to wrestle, you got a wrestling magazine, flip to the back, and it would say, "Want to be a wrestler? Send me a check." <laughs> like, and that's how so many. Like, if you ever all the wrestlers who do interviews, are like, yeah, I trained at this school. They're like, oh, how was it? Like, yeah, well, I wrote them a check. You know, right. and they would go to this gym and be like, I'm here to be a wrestler. Great, do 1,000 Bulgarian squats <clears throat> and give me a check. Like, that's it. And that's how it started for a lot of them. But the WWE Performance Center. Is right in Orlando, mm-hmm. and it's um, they bring in wrestlers from all over the world. They train them. Some of them stay on, some of them don't. But they kind of train their product. Uh, I there Orlando is an easy. I think. Oh no. Um. Sorry, I just mumbled there. You can edit that out. Um. Nope. Good. Yeah. Leave it in. It's real. <laughs> I think in our community, it's become more acceptable to like wrestling mm-hmm. because of the entertainment nature that they've embraced. Uh, the comp- the wrestling has evolved from what it was to what it is now, which is a global entertainment company. Right. And they do all sorts of different shows. So people see it and hear it in different ways and become a fan. Like my wife wasn't a fan of wrestling. And then I had her watch a couple matches and I took her to an event and then she was like, oh, this is fun. Sure. Like it became fun. Um, it's a much more diverse cast of people in wrestling than there used to be like there's a lot of there's like the women in wrestling right now are amazing so they're they're hooking little girls to watch it and also women uh, of all ages like oh wow look at them go that's pretty amazing that's great Um, so they're they've really expanded their diversity in the, in the wrestling world as well so yeah. more people can see more of themselves in it yeah yeah, that's it's it's just such a different place than it was when we were kids. So I think that's why it's more popular. Yeah,
0: and it's very easy, like you said, it's it's almost it's it's diminishing to try and say like, oh, it's you know, it's it's fake, and you know, and that for a very long time. Um you know, and I may have even said it myself. Um, sure, but, but it's very easy to just sort of dismiss the entire thing and be like, you know, it's fake, right? But and
1: that's and that would be the reaction people would get, like, oh, what are you doing watching wrestling? Oh, you know, it's fake. I was like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. what are you, what are you going to watch? What are you watching? Right, you know, that's fake. Well, right? that's what I was gonna say. It's yeah. similar
0: to like anything, you know, like if you're watching uh, any of the Marvel movies, or if any of the, yeah. you know, if you're watching The Walking Dead or anything, where it's just like, you know.
1: You know it's fake, and it's like, oh, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it all is. But it, it's it's, it's I, entertainment. Yeah, like oh, you like the Undertaker? Yeah, oh, a, a, a old man who says like he's a dead man. I'm like, yeah, you watch The Walking Dead? That's what it is. It's <laughs> Literally all the same fake thing. dead people. Yeah, like, yeah. It's it's people, but people don't equate it to that because I think because there is the the long and more people are coming around, but the long history of it pretending to be a sport right. essentially right. really made people think that it's it's a fake sport, and yeah. that's the word that comes to mind, but. Well it would be it would be like if The
0: Walking Dead tried to like pass itself off as a documentary, exactly, in the first yeah. few seasons, you know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
1: <laughs> um so but the rest but they're doing a better job of letting people know, yeah, we are scripted. We right. are an entertainment company and this is what we do. This is the kind of show we put on. Yeah. I- I've heard people argue that professional wrestling is the closest thing to vaudeville that we have. And in a lot of ways they're right. Yeah. You know, like it's it is it's a live show that goes towards the country. It sells out arenas everywhere it's going, so obviously it has fans. Oh yeah. People I mean, love it. Yeah. People love
0: it. We've got I mean like I said my Facebook feed is full you know especially if a big event happens, or, you know, a Royal Rumble or anything like yeah. that, it's just like it is non-stop, mm-hmm. you know. We've got we've got people who have left jobs in order to work for yeah. you know, like
1: it's just like it's 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 a big draw. Yeah. Um whenever an event comes to town, I go watch it, you yeah. know, and I mean I a couple of years ago WrestleMania was here, which is their big annual event and yeah we went to they have a whole week of events leading up to it and it's such an entertainment spectacle and it's so much fun to just get immersed in it yeah i love
0: uh you know again being on the outside i do i do love the opinions on facebook afterwards though and and just how how in you know uh in depth and 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 just how passionate people get about like oh i didn't like this storyline or oh this shouldn't have happened this way and that's
1: another thing too like i try not to get that way yeah um because you know, I, I recognize it's a storyline, and right now there's a wrestler named Roman Reigns mm-hmm. who is essentially viewed as the anointed next John Cena. Um, if, if you know who John Cena is, yes, John Cena has been the top of the WWF for years. Mm-hmm. WWE. Um, he's super entertaining. He's really good. Like, uh, and Roman Reigns is a good looking dude. He's got a good good size. He's he's a good wrestler. But fans, for some reason, just don't want him to be the the star. Oh, really? And that's the weird thing about this in, this wrestling industry is that fans feel an ownership of it. So sure. they'll go to an event, and because they can influence the energy, they'll boo someone out of the building. Right. So Roman Reigns comes out, and he's like, I'm going to fight the villain. And everyone's like, boo! <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah. know, he's like, I'm going to fight Brock Lesnar. Screw you, Roman Reigns! Yeah. Like, he gets all of this anger at him, and it's just... It's not his fault, right. you know? Um, and then, you know, they'll make a decision. They're like, oh, we're gonna go with this wrestler to win this match. And the fans, like, there are some fans out there that get so ugly, like, I'm done watching wrestling. They have no idea what they're doing. right? So it's kind of turned, in some ways, where, like, you know it's fake, right? To be like, it's fake, but it should be written the way that I want it to be written. right? And I just, I don't feel that way. It's like, just enjoy it. Yeah. Enjoy it. It's a
0: TV show. It is interesting, though, because it is one of the few, I think, our artistic like forms that that really you know yeah. similar to improv though where it's just like
1: where the audience really can have an effect and
0: they have like based um, on their response to like whatever
1: you're there, presenting to them that, there was a, a Royal Rumble a few years ago uh, there's a wrestler named Daniel Bryan mm-hmm. Daniel Bryan is the ultimate underdog he's probably like 5'10 maybe 5'8 mm-hmm. 5'9 5'10 yeah like regular sized guy, but um, he's a wrestler that was on the indies for years. He got to WWF and he got a break. WWE. I keep saying WWF because I'm thinking about the old <laughs> days. He got there, he got his break, and he started to work his way up. Very organic, like uh, and uh, you know, like again, like a homegrown hero for a lot of fans. Yeah, because he wasn't stuffed down their throats. He wasn't told they weren't told like this is going to be the guy. He just had a gr- he had great matches really fun to watch and the fans just were attracted to him they just loved him so this royal rumble he was in the opening match but the fans were like convinced because the internet will have people that are in the know who say i think daniel bryan's gonna win the royal rumble this year yeah and the fans like oh that'd be great so the whole royal rumble which is a 30-man match where every 90 seconds another guy comes in Mm -hmm. the only way to win is to be thrown the only way to lose is you get thrown over the top rope okay last person in the ring wins and those fun. are planned out as well. Yeah, yeah those okay. are those are meticulously planned out as well. Okay, those are super fun. <laughs> um, that's usually the inroad to a f- person who's never watched wrestling. You say, "Come watch the Royal Rumble," right? And it's like, "Oh, this is fun." Yeah. So, Daniel Bryan was not in the Royal Rumble, but the fans kept thinking he was coming. They're like, "He's going to come. He's going to win it." His he never comes out. The guy who won it was Batista, who plays Drax the Destroyer from mm-hmm. okay. from Guardians of the Galaxy. Good. He Speaking was coming. Of my language. Yeah, he was coming <laughs> back to the wrestling just for a short stint. Yeah. Um, the number thirty, because thirty men. The thirtieth entrant was a guy named Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio is one of the most popular wrestlers ever. He's a luchador, which is a Mexican wrestler. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wears a mask. He's high flying. Everyone loves Rey Mysterio. They booed Rey Mysterio. The fans in the arena booed him. Oh, and. Like because it's not who they want. because it wasn't Daniel Bryan, wow, and you know, so they get in the ring, and like batista's gonna batista wins the fans are like not having it, they're pissed, and they're screaming, they're booing, and Batista's a baby face, he's coming back he's he's Drax the destroyer, yeah, he, you know, everyone loves him, <laughs> yeah, and he comes in and he's standing in the ring, and he's you know doing his job, but the fans are just booing him out of the building, not having it, so over the course of the next few months, like the fans in every arena kind of took the show hostage and would chant for Daniel Bryan and scream his name and eventually like they had to give in. Like there was nothing they could do. So they wrote it into the storyline. Like, yeah. okay, you know what, Daniel Bryan, the fans want you. We gotta go with you. That's We're gonna crazy. do it. Because they're not accepting anything else. Right. Um they have stopped doing that now. No, they haven't stopped chanting for Daniel Bryan but like the rest the, the company isn't necessarily giving in to the fans as much. Right. Because they they can overtake things. Oh, completely. So WrestleMania was changed, and Daniel. Br- I don't know if it was changed. I don't know if it was always. I don't think it was always the plan for him to go to WrestleMania. Um, I don't think it was, but he wound up going into the WrestleMania main event, which is what Batista won. When you win the Royal Rumble, you go to the main event to fight for the championship. Okay. Basically, that's the award. But because the people were going crazy for Daniel Bryan, they basically wrote a story where it was Daniel Bryan against Triple H and Stephanie McMahon, who were the authority. Mm-hmm. That was their name the authority because they're genuinely in charge of the company right um but on tv they're villains so daniel Bryan would come out every week and the people would just go nuts for him so they created a situation where he had to win a match in order to get into the wrestlemania and he won that match and they created another roadblock for him so he was just underdog in the whole time sure he fought triple h in the opening match of wrestlemania 30 and he won that put him in the main event and then he won that and he won the championship. Oh wow. And the place exploded. <laughs> like it was it was it was a picture perfect story. Yeah. But it was influenced by the fans who were able to directly influence the up- outcome of the show by booing anyone else who wasn't him. Yeah, that's a slippery slope. That's, yeah, And that's the thing. That yeah. WWE has to walk that line. They have to say, "All right, guys, sorry. We Roman Reigns is going to the main event of WrestleMania. You just have to accept it." Right. And most fans do. Yeah. But some fans Some don't. don't. Yeah, and some get so angry. Yeah and it's, it's it's it's
0: crazy wow well, guess what? What we are already over an hour. Wow! I know. I feel like we've barely scratched the surface. There's so, so much more. Uh, there is so much more. <laughs> so uh, this is what I want to do. Uh, I want to. Uh, I want to see if you'll come back at a future uh, episode and and continue to talk about this. Oh God, yes. Because there's just so many more that even I know about that that we
1: didn't even touch on. Like the Rock. We didn't talk about the Rock. We uh, talked about the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels, and his feud with Bret Hart. We talked about that. Yeah. Underneath the Giant and Hulk Hogan. So many things. So many things. So much. Um, but
0: what I do want to do is um, is uh, to, to close this out, I want to say, uh, what is what is a question that you wish that I would have asked in this episode,
1: and what is the answer to that question? Okay. Um, good question. So, um question I wish you would have asked was,
0: hmm, or what is something that you just you just think is so interesting or just the coolest or, you know, just a, just a bit of, bit of trivia or something out there that you're just like, I cannot leave this episode without talking about this one thing. I think I got most of the stuff I wanted
1: to talk about in. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. um, I would love to have talked more about um, the, the attitude era of wrestling. I didn't talk much about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. That was, that was the time from like 1998 to about two thousand one, two thousand two. Okay, uh, when wrestling was ridiculously inappropriate. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. So the Attitude Era—that was that would be the thing we didn't really talk about. That right. was like after Bret Hart left WWE, um, and then Stone Cold was the was the champ, and then Vince McMahon basically was just like, "We're gonna have boobs and beer and just insane things on TV." So they just kind of leaned into the whole Steve Austin thing. Yeah and they they, they like- went they went whole hog into the. Into the uh, the what is called the attitude era of just insanely inappropriate stuff, right? Cartoonishly over the top. So they kind of went back to like
0: just the cartoony stuff, but just well, like in a different
1: adult cartoony, right? Right? Like, right it was right. Adult Swim all over the place. <laughs> like it's probably the best way to think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would have that would be a whole yeah. a whole conversation because some of the characters they had there. There was a pimp character. Oh. His name was The Godfather. Oh, nice. Yep. Okay. He frequently tagged with a porn star character named Val Venus, spelled V E N I S. So, did, did, yeah. he have, like, um, did he have like, did he have hoes with him? The, the Godfather did, and they were called his
0: hoes. Perfect. Yep. See, I could have written this stuff.
1: Oh, yeah, you, you could have. You absolutely <laughs> could have. Uh, fun fact, the Godfather used to be, remember when I said Papa Shango? Yeah. That was the same guy. Oh, really? He was Papa Shango. Then they took him off TV, and he became a character named Kama Mustafa, <laughs> not related to Colonel Mustafa from from the Iraqi situation. Okay. Um, then he became the Godfather he went into the WWE Hall of Fame as the Godfather. That's how he finished. That's it. how he finished his career as the Godfather.
0: Let me. Uh, so, because uh, you've mentioned it a few times, people <laughs> switching personas. Yep. Is there is there an attempt with some of these to justify it, or is it just like one day they just show up and they're like, "I'm somebody new now." Uh, it depends.
1: Uh, it really depends on who it is, because yeah. um, nowadays they'll lean into it. They'll be like, "Oh yeah, this used to be this person." Um, oh, there, okay. Uh, there was a character in the Attitude Era named Prince Albert. <laughs> good um, there was a character named Prince Albert who's of uh, it was. he's he's great um but he left the, he left WWE then he came back and they were introducing this character named Lord Tensai mm-hmm. they were like this is a wrestler who's he went to Japan and he mastered Japanese wrestling which is true he lived in Japan for years and was a big big name in Japan cuz he was a big giant white guy yeah um he looked he looked great on he Beat up a lot of Japanese people. Um, he was like Godzilla, but like he went over there and they're like, "He's coming back. He's mastered Japanese wrestling," and like he came back and he was he walked down the ring. He had like a like a Shogun mask on and like had a little guy with him. He gets to the ring and he takes his mask off and everyone's like, "Oh, that's Prince Albert," oh, and no. they immediately started chanting Prince Albert, <laughs> like Albert. <laughs> like they started yelling it at him and it's this new character they're trying to get him over as this big monster heel, right? And like. They didn't mention his name until like a week later, like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was Prince Albert. He used to be known as that here, but now he's Tensai. And people were like, Albert. <laughs> Did not work. You're not going to get that shit over on no, us. No, not at all. Yeah. But like a lot of, in the old days, it was just completely different people. Like, uh, you, would, you wouldn't you would recognize him because the costume would be totally different. Right. Yeah. Well, didn't the un- didn't the Undertaker go through a transformation? He, at he's one point? always been the Undertaker, but he's been different versions of the Undertaker. Oh, okay. But it's always been the same guy, and it's always been the Undertaker. Right. But uh, his brother Kane, who's not really his brother, but Kane is. Uh, he used to be Doctor Isaac Yankum DDS. Yankum? Yeah, he was a bad. Oh, he, was de- a- he was a bad <laughs> dentist. He was an evil dentist. He was Jerry the King Lawler's dentist.
0: <laughs> and then he did that. I assume that was before Kane. Yes, he was yeah. that,
1: and then he came back as Kane, and you didn't know it was him because Kane had a mask on. Yeah, I remember Kane. He was he was like a he's still around, like a Slipknot kind of yeah, character, yeah, right? yeah, that look to him. What a what a weird change. Yeah, he's like you're going to be Isaac Dr. Yankum, Doctor Yankum, Doctor Isaac Yankum, DDS. Wow. Well, and the other and the other thing I remember that I, I wish we had talked about because I thought about it at one point was Owen Hart, Bret Hart's brother. Yeah. Um, and his how his death affected so many people, and how that was another moment where wrestlers were humanized. Sure. Um. But yeah, that was a good thing. Not a good, it was very tragic that he died, but like the way, like after he died, the Monday Night Raw, the next night, he died on a pay-per-view. Yeah. In front of a live audience. Right. The next night, they did a dedication show to him where there was no storylines. Guys could wrestle if they wanted to and they did test him. They did like interviews about him and like seeing all these guys who were larger than life wrestlers just weeping. Sure. Was so incredibly moving. And Owen Hart's the one, probably one of the one wrestlers that nobody has a bad thing to say about. Mm-hmm. So he's a whole fascinating topic. Sure.
0: Well, and it, like you said, it, or hinted at, it kind of does, it, it's, a, it's an argument towards like, you know, uh, th- oh, it's fake, you know, and it's just now, like, th- this wasn't. No, this was very real. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's, like I said, there's so many people in my life, um, past and present, who who just love it, who get into it, who are who are passionate about it, who have many strong opinions about it, and um, I I get it, I I I get it. I'm convinced after an hour right. of talking to you about it. Like I I you know you answered some questions that I didn't even know I had. Perfect. But um, it's it's uh, it's it's legit. So thank you for. For coming in and, and teaching me something, I'll see you at
1: the next uh, next event. We'll watch
0: we'll it. I will be there. It's going to be a blast. Yes, and I still maintain that uh, Brett the Hitman Heart is the best wrestler. Of I all time. couldn't
1: agree more. Couldn't right. agree more. <laughs>
0: all right. Once again, thank you, Mike. Thank you, Brett. And we will uh, see you next time. Bye. What Am I Missing is edited, produced, and hosted by me, Brett Walden, with original music by Anthony Smith. Special thanks to Mike Carr, if for nothing else, his spot-on Randy Savage impression. If you would like to know more about this show or upcoming episodes, more information can be found at www.brettwalden.com. If you have any questions, comments, or curses about anything you've heard today, we have a community for that. Go to facebook.com slash Pod and let your voice be heard. And now, here's a preview of next week's episode.
1: You know, because I feel like we both work in the arts, which is a generally far more inclusive community. You have people of every, you know, like, whatever you want to call it, race, creed, belief, what, like, all of those things. You have these people who you're used to a very inclusive mindset and the fact that that isn't the example across the board for the rest of the world, let alone just where we live, it's really special to see 20 movies add up to this one movie where there's everyone standing around and you have your Black Panthers and your War Machines and your Scarlet Witch and your Captain America and everybody gets to look at somebody who's on the Avengers and go, hey, that, that person's for me.